The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Alex Adama, CEO of DPS Skis in Salt Lake City. We talk about ski building and manufacturing in the U.S., the impacts of COVID-19 on the business, and how they've adapted to making equipment for healthcare workers on the front lines. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and uh, excited to have with me um, Alex from from DPS Skis. Do you mind uh, just introducing yourself and your role, Um, and then we can kind of get into your world right now? Yes, of course. Uh, my name is Alex Adama. I'm the CEO for DPS Skis here in Salt Lake City. Um, we manufacture skis, and we call it the world's most advanced skis. And right now, we're doing a little bit of a pivot to some personal protective equipment. So, um, anyways, appreciate you having me here, and, and happy to share a little bit of our story. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I think right now, um, especially for students in our program, just students across the board who are looking at getting into this industry or anyone who's looking to dive into the outdoor industry. I think these types of conversations are really valuable just to hear, you know, what are companies going through? What are people going through? Um, you know, kind of in the middle of this. Um, so probably still a lot of unanswered questions, but I think it's really valuable at least to have conversations and, and just kind of share what, what you're facing right now and your thoughts and feelings. And, um, but anyways, personally, um, you know, how, how are you doing? How's, how's your family? How, how are you feeling going through this unprecedented situation? Yeah. As we, uh, as we spoke about a little bit previously, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's got silver lining and it's, uh, we also have avoided the flu, the, uh, the pandemic virus here, but we've definitely come down with a bit of cabin fever, you know, four kids in the house and two work from home parents. Um, so we're trying to figure that whole thing out, but, um, it's been interesting. I almost feel I try to keep trying to encourage people. You know, I think at some point we're going to get back to work and the busyness is going to sweep us away. Um, so let's try and find the silver lining here and enjoy the moment because um, there's very few times I think in our entire lives where we'll just sort of be forced to sit still and be present. So um, we're doing our best to make make the most of that. But yeah, it's been an interesting experience trying to navigate that whole thing. Right. And then you know, where where are you at from a business perspective? I mean, this is nothing prepares you for this, you know, as, as a CEO, president of a company, nothing prepares you for this. You know, where are you sitting as, as a business right now? Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it's ironic too, or I'm not sure what the right word is, but uh, we did have a, a bit of a financial trial last year um, as we kind of navigated some rough waters and believe it or not, we actually did have a little bit of sort of preparation and um, really, the, the the key thing that came out of that was just a real sense of uh, purpose and team unity um, across the company, you know, from manufacturing through our warehouse and the front office and sales and marketing. So it was a little bit fortuitous for us to have some challenges to work through in 2019 because it's it's really given us a, a bit more confidence, I think, than than many others who are looking at this with a, 
fairly daunted perspective. Um, that being said, you know, we're not immune from the challenges that, that others are, are facing as well. And so, you know, we stay very close uh, contact with a lot of different industry partners, whether it's in the outdoor industry, manufacturing, um, just in general, just trying to seek clues like everybody else is from so many webinars and um, things that are being written and whatnot. So uh, we're navigating fairly well, um, definitely a lot better than I would have anticipated four or five weeks ago. Um, and part of that has been a pivot that we've done to producing some, some medical um, need equipment for the Department of Health, which has helped us to retain some jobs and avoid some furloughs that others have not um, been as fortunate enough to, to avoid. Um, and then we're still, you know, we're still producing skis. We've just scaled back a little bit. Um, the way our industry works is, uh, as, as probably many of your, your listeners know, is we take preseason orders uh, in the first and second, early part of the second quarter of the year, and then we're delivering kind of around Labor Day is when it really kicks in for us um, as, as ski shops and specialty retail shops are gearing up for the winter season. So our preseason orders are actually quite strong. Um, even in the last couple of weeks, it's not as if we have stale orders that came in before the pandemic hit, but we actually have pretty current orders. So shops are hoping for the best and um, we're hoping with them and, and continue with production. But in the near term, at least, just dialing that back a little bit with plans to crank up um, maybe closer to 120, 150% of normal um, to make up during that time and not take as much risk right now. So the offset of producing uh, personal protective equipment is, is really helping to balance that out for us. So we're, we're in a more, I think, fortuitous uh, position, like I said, than, than some others, but I'm still dealing with the angst, of course, of all of it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so so from a company perspective, uh, it sounds like may, you've been able to retain a lot of employees. Um, and, and part of that because of the PPE um, pivot, um, how did that come about, you know, and, and how quickly did that, um, that change, um, take place? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we watched, we watched this coming our way, especially in Italy is that, uh, you know, widely reported the country started to shut down, but that affected ski season pretty early relative to North America. You know, that was starting to happen in late February, uh, and then kind of spread throughout the, the central European, um, states like Germany, Austria, France, um, so we sort of were anticipating some of this coming, but not sure how it would affect here. When when finally the North American um, resorts closed down in, you know, I guess about a month ago, a little over a month ago, um, that's when we really were trying to understand what does this all mean and how is this going to affect just the general macroeconomics of the country and so on. And of course, at that time, there was a lot of stories about um, factories switching over. There was a lot of analogies or um, comparisons made to World War II type of scenarios. And I just began to look at us as a manufacturing facility, which is fairly rare um, to actually be making our skis in the USA. So we had that um, fortunate uh, sort of advantage in that situation. And just to start to ask the question, if, if we could potentially convert and help with the effort in some way. Uh, we have one machine in particular. It's a CNC um, static table cutter, uh, an Eastman machine that is was originally designed for the textile industry. And many ski companies like us use it to cut the ski base material. Um, so we just started asking each other the questions of, you know, could we potentially, none of us even heard of an N95 mask, or at least I know I had um, before all this, but we started asking, could we cut fabric for gowns or N95s and, and pass them along a supply chain somewhere? But where is the supply chain? How do we plug into it? Where do we get the materials, et cetera? Um, and then at some point, one of our engineers um, looked at looked at the machine and thought, geez, we could we could do those plastic shields, which I had really never taken notice of either. I'm sure I've seen them in you know TV shows or movies, but never really noticed those those uh, face shields that 
that all the doctors and, and nurses are wearing in, in the emergency uh, front lines right now. Um, and then it wasn't very long before we found some open source designs from some cooperative partners and started prototyping that. In the meantime, I just started launching emails and phone calls to everybody I could think of through our networks in the state, um, whether that was through the governor's office directly in some cases, the governor's office of economic development, Utah Manufacturer Association, outdoor industry associations, snow sports industries, you know, just right down the line, the, outdoor, the Utah Outdoor Association, and just trying to figure out where do we plug into this? What is the need? Can we help fill it? Or is this something that we should just, you know, kind of let go? Uh, and eventually, there was a couple of critical linchpins that came through for us, connected us to the right, um, the right uh, organization, particularly Utah Department of Health, that did have a need, was trying to fill it, and trying to understand what that was. And we were able to loosely tap into a supply chain to start to procure the plastic and, and things like that that we needed. Still not sure how it would all come together, but it was a pretty mad scramble for a couple of weeks there. Um, so yeah, it, it, it took a couple of weeks. It was kind of late March when we really said, let's, let's try and figure something out. And between networking a bunch of parallels at the same time, um, it all sort of culminated at once where we found a need, uh, a need with the Department of Health. We found the supply chain. At least it was pretty herky-jerky at first, um, but now we've stabilized that. And then, uh, you know, if, if you'd like, I could get into a little bit, but we found some partners that could help offset the cost for us because that was a pretty significant concern out of the gate as well. Yeah, of course. Let's, let's get into that. And kind of along the same lines, maybe speak to just the level of co- cooperation. You alluded to this, but, but the amount of co- cooperation that's needed to, to make this ha- like change happen. And um, what have you seen from your perspective? Everyone just kind of coming together. Um, has, has that worked well? Have there been issues? Like what, what's your experience been just collaborating um, with the larger industry manufacturers, the outdoor industry, the state um, to get through some of this? Yeah. Yeah. As far as issues, the only issues are, you know, what you would expect for logistics challenges and, and just trying to figure out what, you know, what the need is, where we can supply it from and that kind of stuff. Um, as you know, from, from working and corresponding a lot with outdoor industry companies, we, we have a unique um, little ecosystem here. It's a very supportive and uh, you know, strong camaraderie among that group. Um, so once, once I had a pretty clear idea that we would actually be able to do this and go ahead with it, um, my immediate first outreach at that point was to the Utah Outdoor Association Board. Um, which includes companies like Petzl and Goal Zero and Specialized and Cotopaxi and the Black Diamond number. I'm going to definitely leave some off, but um, reached out to this group and, and and we had already been corresponding, whether by email or some phone calls and our board meetings, just talking about how people are reacting to this, how they're handling furloughs and whatnot. And I just said, look, we're going to do this. Um, we don't know how it'll all play out. We don't know. We know you're all suffering too. If anybody has any ideas though to potentially help us, whatever that would look like, um, introductions or support of some kind, please let me know. Uh, of course, many of them immediately said, yeah, well, let us think about this. I'm not sure how we can plug in. We're dealing with layoffs or whatever, but um, let's see if there's something that we can do. Um, Goal Zero in particular, they actually have been doing okay through this because um, they they typically um, have a lot of customers in doomsday type of events that that, that really need or, or at least want the protection of their products. So they were actually in a pretty good position and said, look, um, we can't manufacture here, um, but we're happy to support you. And they, they made some, some pretty generous offers to help in getting the, the raw materials that we need on the plastic side in particular. And then Tom Adams from Goal Zero, who was formerly with the uh, Office of Outdoor Recreation, said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll love to make some introductions. Let me see if I can you know, connect you with anybody and see how I can help. And then was, I don't remember if it was a few hours later or the next day, but he called back and he said, you know, I just thought of this, but we could potentially supply our headbands from our headlamps. Mm-hmm. Um, guys for the face shields which hadn't occurred to either of us before that 
And he made a, a whole bunch of phone calls overnight to his headquarters in France and their operations in Malaysia and other places and realized that at least at the outset, they could supply some of the headbands and then let's see what, what all transpires and how they could fit into that. So uh, it was, you know, that all happened in a matter of a day and a half or two days where those wow. two in particular were able to jump in. And, you know, originally we thought we would be doing this project at a financial loss. Um, the benefit for us was, A, we'd be helping the community in a time where we just felt like we needed to do something with some purpose. Um, and we also were able to retain some some skilled jobs and uh, and keep our employees from you know some of the you know unemployment scenarios that they were fearing and we were all fearing. So um, those were the original sort of goals of it. But now that it's now that it's really ballooned, um, the partnership with with Goal Zero and um, Petzl is what allowed us to really dig in. And, and we've since had our orders. Uh, I don't know what the term is, not quadruple, but we've eightfold uh, over the first ten thousand units. We're now selling about eighty thousand units to Department of Health. Um, and work closely with them to understand what their price points were. Um, work closely with uh, EDC Utah, GoEd, and others to you know just kind of understand where the best place to plug into. So the partnership has been um, just a, a super fun thing to be a part of, and that's where I say uh, it's been exhausting. Those were some long 12, 16-hour days for everybody involved. You know, myself and others on the networking perspective, and then the engineers, you know, doing prototyping, and then with the production team when it became their job to actually. Um, go into commercialization with it. So long, ex exhausting days, but super exhilarating because a sense of purpose really came out of that. Um, many people in the company have frontline workers in their family or their spouses or whatever. And so just the idea that we could do something to really support the effort um, and help the company um, just sustain ourselves was a pretty amazing uh, event to kind of unfold for us. So um, those partners really definitely made that happen. It was a pretty remarkable thing to be a part of. Yeah. So I how does that work within, within your manufacturing facility? I've been there, but, um, you know, you, you do everything in the U S, um, and in Utah, uh, what are your, what does your manufacturing facility look like? You know, are you ma manufacturing skis and PPE equipment kind of at the same time, separate spaces? Um, or is it, you know, do you have different shifts working on different things? What does that look like? How do you, how are you able to do both? Yeah, a little bit of both those, um, aspects is what we're doing. So, before we started doing the, the PPE, there was a lot of angst about, you know, should we, is it responsible even to be building skis right now? And, and how should we handle that? Our concern was if we stopped building skis, where would we be stopping for two weeks or two months or 12 months? We didn't know. And, and we really had no idea if our company could sustain that type of a, a shutdown um, and, and restart at some point and, and be financially viable. So um, we were really anxious about that. But like I said, once the PPE started, the, the sense of purpose and, and drive um, definitely changed in enthusiasm. Uh, and so what we've done is the, the standard best practices that we've watched from others, whether it's in the outdoor association or manufacturer association, we're doing temperature checks at the door. We're using separate entrances as much as possible where we've removed the common areas, lunchrooms, things like that temporarily. Um, and we're spacing out our assembly stations and that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're, we've slowed our production, you know, staggered shifts, those kinds of typical, um, typical rec recommendations for best practices. And then, the Eastman machine is the main one that cuts our ski base material and also does the mass. So yeah, we've had to, we've just had to do some, some calendaring and some timing on that to make sure that we can do both. But uh, so far, it, it, you know, it's, it's running more hours than it maybe would otherwise, but it, it actually balances out pretty well. Um, so we're cutting, we're cutting that stuff. And then we've got a smaller part of the factory where it doesn't take much for the assembly process. Once we have all the parts um, cut out and we have the headbands assembled, um, but that's just done in a little separate area as well. And, we're actually packaging them as a little bit of assembly um, on site. So 
rather than try and have the box, the uh, shields totally complete and just smashed in, in huge boxes. Um, we're, we're kind of doing it in two parts where you have the band and the, the fasteners as one part and then the flat shields that they can assemble on site with some instructions. So, um, but yeah, we've been able to balance out both those ski and, and uh, shield uh, production scenarios together. What, what have you learned about yourself as well as your team uh, throughout this, this uh, situation? Well, as I, as I alluded to in the beginning, you know, some, some challenges that we've had in the past really showed us the resilience and the unity that we do have, um, but it's only been fortified and uh, even more enjoyable, I think. Enjoyable, I guess, I guess it's relative. That's the way I'm wired to describe it that way. Not everybody would, except that I think everybody's proud um, and motivated by the idea, again, that we're able to help the community effort, we're able to save jobs of our own team members, um, and, and sort of procure or, or or strengthen the future success and, and opportunity for DPS skis. So um, we, we've all just learned to rally together and, and understand the, the importance of that camaraderie. Uh, everybody has to sacrifice in different ways. And it, it looks totally different right now when you have half your company or a third of your company working from home. Um, and you know, they're, they're making sacrifices, doing things at late hours that are harder to see. Uh, and then of course those in the manufacturing and warehouse, um, settings are you know it's a little easier to see the sacrifices they're making the long hours the kind of risk they're taking you know frankly as far as at least what we understand the pandemic pandemic risks to be right now so um but everybody understanding that each of us doing their own part and having this sense of purpose um is is really i think the biggest takeaway for us and, and just knowing that hopefully we're protecting our futures and not only ours but this really does have implications you know in both directions on the supply chain we have suppliers that are you know smaller um, some are bigger but some are smaller operations that really need our business um, to, to support what they're trying to do and then on the other side we have um, you know hundreds of specialty retail shops around the world that whenever the pandemic um, concerns are, are over with and they open their doors back up we're hoping to have skis at the door waiting for them so that they can get their businesses going, pay their employees. So it's a real um, interdependent system that we're a part of. And we recognize that as a team and, and are kind of enjoying that aspect that we're surviving and, and hopefully helping others to be able to recover in the future as we get through this. I, I feel like that's one of the, the big things that, you know, hopefully, you know, when we get out of this relatively soon, hopefully that's one of the takeaways, right? Is like how interconnected we are and how small of a world this actually is. Um, I, 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 that's my sense right now is people are realizing that it's like, Oh wow, there's, we're all connected in some way. There's those specialty retailers, you know, to, to your suppliers, to people across the world. Um, I, you know, I think that's really come to the forefront and hopefully we can uh, maintain that moving forward. But sure. what, what's the sense of, um, I guess I don't think anyone really knows into the ski season what, what that looks like, but you kind of mentioned some optimism to start again, no one really knows, you know, what, what that will look like, but um, at least with your specialty retailers you're working with, there's, there's still buying happening. Yeah, there, there is. And it's, it's definitely cautious um, in a lot of cases, but at the same time, you know, I think from a, from an outdoor, from a snow sports perspective, um, we have a little more, I don't know what the word is, um, little less risk, at least at the moment, it appears, than the summer sports. So, you know, right now, obviously, is the time when people would be out, are out, or would be out buying ski gear, or excuse me, climbing gear, biking gear, kayaking, whatever it is. And a lot of these shops that we work with do switch over to those sports as specialty in the summer. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little nerve wracking, I think, for those brands in particular um, that are selling summer, summer type of activity uh, equipment. And same with the shops that are 
you know, really reliant on that. You know, in a lot of cases in ski shops, they, if they don't convert to bikes, they might um, just shut down altogether uh, for this, for the, these summer months. So they actually may not affect, feel the effects as much. So we're just kind of in a wait in the see mode in both scenarios um, as far as how long this is going to run for and how deep a recession is and whether the buyers will still be there when, when the opportunity comes to, you know, get those businesses back up and running at, at full scale. So, and of course it's different in different regions. You know, there's, there's talks about Italy um, opening up a little bit right now, but of course the ski season is over at this moment. Um, so we just don't know what that holds for the fall yet. So yeah, there's, I think there's, there's optimism, but of course there's, there's angst and, uh, and you know, nobody knows, you know, it's, it's, there's all kinds of conjecture about what's going to happen, but I don't think anybody really knows. Right. Um, but as far as our order book, at least we're, we're happy to see that it seems like there's some confidence out there from specialty retail that they'll, they'll come through this. So we'll just have to see, obviously. Yeah. As having manufacturing so close, um, what advantages does that give you, um, I guess in a situation like this, like how, I guess you can be responsive, right? You can adapt, you can pivot and, and work on new products or, you know, go the PPE route. Um, I guess my, my question is, um, I guess when you, when you place an order, do you already have product that you've made anticipating orders that are coming in or do you make to order when you get a large order for the coming season on a, on a typical year? Yeah. So, I mean, we know we have a, a pretty solid sense of what our best selling SKUs are. Um, and so we were able to somewhat predict and forecast that, but we definitely do adjust that based on what comes in on these preseason mm-hmm. orders. And we do have that luxury um, essentially of, of making the adjustments as we go through the spring and summer. Um, so, you know, our, our, it's, it's most, most efficient when we can run hundreds of units of a SKU at a time. Um, but if we're planning it out in advance, if we have just smaller, smaller units of, you know, shorter or longer lengths that typically are on the, the outside of the bell curve, um, you know, we, we can plan that out and adjust to that as the preseason orders come in. So, um, you know, if, if we're in, in some cases, we do do a small amount of our skis overseas with a contract manufacturer uh, in or two in Asia. Um, and that's a very small part of our portfolio, but yeah, the risk with those or, or companies that are really beholden to that is you, you have to submit a PO um, and then they just start running with it and they, they order materials and everything for that. So um, we're able to be much more nimble with our own production, which, which definitely helps a lot. And, you know, raw material um, is, is largely um, reusable for different models, different SKUs across our line. So if we have to adjust one or another, we can. Um, so that does help us at least for now it does. Right. Um, and I, I think we touched on a little bit what types of equipment, PPE equipment you're, you're making, but could you specifically share, you know, you've mentioned face shields, masks, um, is there anything else being made at, at your facilities right now? Yeah. So what we, so what we ended up discovering was, um, the N95 masks or gowns just weren't really a viable option for us. We didn't have a good place. Uh, the material was really hard to come by as it is for the face shields too, but for everything, it's really hard to come by because people are scrambling everywhere for the material. Um, but we also didn't have an outlet for that and we weren't sure where to plug in, but the, fi- the protective face shields was something we could do start to finish. And that's why it worked so much easier for us. And we plugged in with the department of health to do that. So um, we are doing those, those face shields. Uh, our predominant customer is the, the Utah department of health. Um, we're producing, you know, at this point, I think about 80,000 shields for them. And then we're fulfilling um, smaller orders of 25, 50, hundred for, um, different, you know, there's actually a hospital in New York where there was some Navy Reserve doctors that went out there. We some, we sent some with them. 
Um, some of the, uh, the uh, Ute reservations or Navajo reservation, I believe it was down in Southern Utah, the Moab hospital. Um, so we're fulfilling smaller batches for those types, um, those types of needs, but it's been predominantly for the Department of Health to be had those face shields. So we've also made a little bit of um, hand sanitizer. We're, we're kind of tongue in cheek referring it to as phantom hand sanitizer. So mm. the extent you're familiar with our phantom product, it's a permanent um, base glide for skis and snowboards that replaces um, the need for traditional ski waxes. Um, we have a we have a, a pretty sharp chemist and product team around the Phantom uh, product line in general. And so there's there's actually some materials that we're able to repurpose um, into making hand sanitizer. So we've made small batches of that um, in case there was a need for it and just considering what that would look like longer term because that's still an evolving thing as well. Uh, and then lastly, along the Phantom product line, we have uh, what we call the Phantom Cure Stations. Um, so the way that permanent base glide works, it, it actually is a product that, that bonds permanently to the base of a ski or a snowboard um, and provides that, that convenience, that environmentally friendly permanent um, glide, extra glide factor for the skis. That UV um, cure station actually has the capability with a little bit of uh, retrofitting to potentially um, sterilize N95 masks. Mm. So we're not, we're not certain yet that this will, that this will be commercially viable, but we are working on that process. Um, we're actually working with uh, some pretty prominent medical uh, institutions here in the U S to test some of that and validate it. We've done the first round of validation, um, but when, now we need some more uh, stringent actual medical community validation of that, which we're in the process of doing this week. So we don't know where that'll go. It's, it's, it's fairly speculative at this point, although six weeks ago, I never imagined we'd be making face shields either. Um, but the u- unique thing with that, that cure station is they're pretty easy to transport so we could get them wherever we need them to. There's already, uh, hundreds in the wild, you know, whether it's in North America or Europe or even Japan and New Zealand. So um, there could be a scenario where small ski communities could have their N95 masks sterilized um, at the local ski shop. So we have no idea how that'll all play out, but these are the kinds of things that we're at least um, working with right now and just trying to be nimble in case the need is there and, and just see what we can do. So it's, it's been, that's where, again, this is pretty exhilarating for a little scrappy, uh, entrepreneurial ski company like DPS. We just love to innovate and do fun things like this. So this is highly energizing us to, you know, kind of keep tinkering with, with these things and see how we might be able to support the effort. Right. You, you mentioned, I mean, six weeks ago, you know, maybe not ever thinking you'd be making face shields. What's been the biggest challenge um, in, in making those products? I mean, is it, is it finding people to, to buy them? Is it making the product itself? Is it, is it trying to meet those medical grade standards and, and getting up to speed on, on kind of the requirements there? What's been the greatest challenge for you? Uh, well, with the face shields, thankfully it doesn't, it's not as, especially in the current environment, it's not quite as stringent as some of the other products, especially like the N95s, as far as um, meeting some of the FDA requirements and those kinds of things. Um, I would say the hardest part has been sorting out the supply chain um, and, and understanding a where where we can procure the material because there were days where we would try and buy rolls of plastic, for example, we'd call and get a quote in the morning, and by lunchtime, you know, truly it was gone. It, it just it was a, a kind of crazy scenario where everybody was scrambling for those materials. So the engineering side of it is easy for us. I mean, that's what we do. That's our calling card is really innovative shaping and, and ski material design and that kind of stuff. So that's the easy part for us. Um, and then on the production side, again, balancing that, that labor, um, that labor need and, and calendaring is something that 
is it was a little bit of an effort to just sort it out, but not not too difficult for us. So I would say the supply chain has been the biggest challenge. A of where to get materials. Now we have a steady flow, so that's more or less um, worked out. And then B, um, you know, where where are you going to plug that into that need and that support? And having a partner like the Department of Health has helped us iron that out. But it did take a little while. You know, we started with a couple of smaller orders to validate and prove ourselves, um, and then we're really clinching and wondering, you know. Should we be committing to lots more um, plastic and other materials, headbands, you know, coming from Petzl and whatnot, or, or, or should we hold back? And once we finally got, you know, kind of some validation, some proof of concept with them and some follow on orders, then we were, you know, in a much more comfortable place with it. So, right. And, and now, now we shift to wondering, you know, what the long term holds. Is this just something we've done for the short term? And I, I know there's many companies um, locally and across the country and world even that have made these types of conversions and just don't have the answers of whether um, they'll continue to do this over the long term. Because there are now a lot more people in the market. Certainly not all these suppliers are going to be needed long term. Um, so it's a question of you know whether whether we would continue to do that or not. And we're definitely keeping that door open, but not really putting many eggs in that basket at the moment. So we'll right. see. Right. Well, kind of along those lines, I was going to ask you to, to break out your crystal ball a, a little bit. And um, I guess, again, probably too early to tell, but um, what are your thoughts on the future of, of work? Um, you know, how, how do you see things changing? Maybe in your world, I mean, you know, manufacturing, that doesn't really go remote. Um, but do you see any other impacts, you know, for the future of work? Yeah. I, you know, it's, there, there's probably lots of streams of that conversation for sure. Um, you know, right now we are working from home from a sales operations, finance, marketing standpoint. Um, I think it's doable and, and we're adjusting to it, but it's not ideal by any means. Uh, our long-term hope, of course, is to be back, you know, adjacent to our factory or, or nearby with our factory and, and just improve the communication and, and um, you know, collaborations that were, they're just a little harder to come by right now. Um, and maybe that's just because we haven't bet it. So I'm sure there are other companies, though, that will take a totally different approach. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure how that will, will go, generally speaking, but for us, we're hoping to kind of get back to life as normal as that goes. Um, what we're watching as far as the long term is two things in particular. You know, what's going to be the effect on retail, specialty retail in our case in particular? Um, you know, we've all known that, that retail, you know, generically speaking on the macro level is suffering, you know, whether it's malls or strip malls or that kind of thing. Um, it hasn't impacted us too directly on the specialty side of ski, you know, some of the bigger um, chains like AJ Motion or others that have gone out of business, um, we, we personally aren't in those um, stores or haven't been in those stores. So we haven't been as affected, but it's certainly there are other outdoor brands that will feel that pain. Um, and I do expect that this will accelerate a lot of that, you know, but that's, I don't think that's a necessarily unique thought to me. I think that's just kind of the reality of where people are seeing things going and more shifting to online purchases and comfort around that um, in outdoor products too. So I think that's, that's a big thing. And then on the PPE side, again, we don't know if we'll stay uh, involved in this category or not, but we're also hearing a lot, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the committees for the, the governor's economic task force um, from an industry perspective. And just on the call on Friday, there's a lot of discussion about what it takes to get customers and employees back to work safely and feeling comfortable in that environment. And there's probably um, going to be a significant need for PPE in totally new channels that we never would have imagined before, whether that's even, you know, hair salons or um, fast, fresh restaurants or whatever that would look like. So for us, we're kind of looking at both those streams. How does it affect specialty outdoor retail? And then 
from a PPE perspective, is this is this a category we should consider long term for for these reasons? Just because whole new market opportunities are going to come up that that we may be able to fulfill that aren't necessarily opportunistic, but just new opportunities that never existed before. Right. Yeah. That I've I've heard similar things. You know, especially in the restaurant business. Um, you know, some anticipation that there's going to be you know, a, a much greater need for face shields, masks, you know, in food preparation. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But um, what what would you say to, to people um, who are furloughed, looking for work, um, you know, students who are graduating right now, is, which is kind of our situation? Um, what would you say to people who are kind of, you know, heading into kind of an uncertain economic time right now? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, of course, I don't envy that position, and uh, that's part of the reason that we've been so you know I use the word exhilarated by what we're doing because it has been such a core purpose for me right now is to figure out how to retain those jobs for our team specifically because it's just about all that we can control, and even in that, we probably can't control it as much as we want to think we can. Um, so. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of angst about how this will will shake out. Um, you know, me being an economics uh, major and MBA and all that kind of stuff, I, I tend to think that the fundamentals of the economy. Um, you know, I'm a little bit out of water here. I'm not a, a trained account economist anymore, but I do think that the the the, the turn the downturn that we've seen is you know artificial based on these external factors of the pandemic, and so um, I do think there's a, a pretty decent chance that we'll come back strong um, if it doesn't drag on for too long. So, um, but, you know, it, it may look a little bit like 2008, um, but I don't think it's going to be that deep. And I think, you know, jobs will come back online. But of course, like you said, the future of work will potentially change a lot of that, whether that's more remote work, whether it's more contract type work. Um, so I would be sort of thinking of in those terms as, as far as what that new economy um, will look like. Because this will definitely accelerate trends that were out there, whether it's direct to consumer, work from home, contract type of work. Um, and, you know, manufacturing, you know, I could see actually a, maybe a, an uptick in U, U.S. manufacturing because I think it's exposed a lot of vulnerabilities we have um, in the, the ongoing trade tensions and political tensions that we have with um, countries like China in particular. So uh, it'll be interesting to see I don't know how much that will affect the outdoor industry, um, but in general terms, I think the manufacturing industry will hopefully see um, some efforts to, to strengthen this sector, you know, in the U.S. So that's a whole lot of rambling um, without a real clear answer. But, you know, next time we talk, I'll have given it some more thought now that you put it in my head. Well, you know what? Your crystal ball was working because that was my next question was um, kind of how you see this impacting uh, U.S.-based manufacturing. If you see you know, more of that coming, coming here. So you, yeah, you answered that question before I could ask it. Yeah, so. I mean, just on the, I think uh, it was in the Wall Street Journal just this morning. And I don't know if it was the business section or the main page, but it was um, just talking about how China is easing some of the restrictions on some of this PPE. But, you know, I think the, the sort of, um, what's the word, the flare was already sent in the air that, that this is something we got to be watching for and concerned about. And, you know, so I think those types of things will continue to, to cause legislation to come out of Washington that kind of pushes us more in this direction and maybe help subsidize or, or whatever it would be. But um, it seems like that's, that's a reality at the same time, the larger macro trend, just globalization and shifting of, of, you know, but just by labor costs and whatnot, I don't know ultimately if we'll, we'll reverse that trend or change that trend, but I do think there'll be efforts from a U.S. manufacturing perspective to try and become more secure in, in some of these key areas. Even there was a, there's another, another article in the Wall Street Journal this morning talking about 
raw uh, was a rare earth material than just you know how how kind of vulnerable we are in that in that scenario too. So again, this is probably getting way off topic from an outdoor perspective, but um, those are two key ones that people are watching right now, and I think will impact U- U.S. manufacturing and, and resource planning for long term for sure. Right, and then you know, in addition to everything else you're working on, you know, the tasks for task forces you're on, um, you know, running this company, you're also the chairman of the Utah Outdoor Association. Right. Um, I guess your thoughts on on kind of the state of the outdoor industry here, or you know, maybe just the temperature of you know at least the companies that are a part of the association right now. I would say the ecosystem in general is is strong, and uh, you know, again, the camaraderie and collaboration that we've personally experienced and been a part of, and the support of one another has been really great to be a part of. And it it speaks to the kind of just culture and um, uh, desire that people have to not only fa- start these companies but to be a part of them. So again, it's not the most lucrative industry out there, you know, necessarily, but it does continue to allow us to you know do things that uh, help us to pursue a passion and, and kind of a camaraderie in the workforce that all. Um, you know, enjoys that work, you know, more so than, than I always say it's more fun to make skis than, than toaster ovens and not that we all need toaster ovens and there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, you know, it's just something more fun about everybody wishing they could take a pair home or whatever it is on the weekend. And I think that is still strong within Utah. And I think there's lots of cool, innovative things happening here, um, that will continue to go that way. And the talent pool continues to increase and programs like yours, um, continue to, you know, provide more opportunity for employers to innovate and, and grow here. So, I, I see that still continuing in that in that direction for for Utah in general. Right, and and then maybe a last question, kind of along those lines. But we mentioned some of the the positive stories or the positive responses coming out of this. Your collaboration with Goal Zero, Petzl, Eastman. Um, I know Cotopaxi has come out strong and and done quite a bit um, yeah. on that front as well. Are there any other positive stories that you've heard from from outdoor brands in the state? Um, yeah, so there's this funny one, actually, when I, when I sent that, um, email out to the Utah Outdoor Association, I also included uh, one of our advisors who's the CFO at Yeti Bicycles. So it's in, it's in Golden, Colorado. So it's not initially your state, but it comes back around because I asked him if, uh, there was any, any potential sponsorship or support or whatever that might look like. And he said, you know, we've got a couple CNC machines that are down right now too. And people kind of idle, we're going to look into this ourselves. So they actually, went ahead and even without a, an, a, an outlet to sell to or to distribute to, they just went ahead and started building face shields. And I think they, I think they were building uh, N95 masks as well. I'm not sure, but they just went ahead with that program and they were able to find a couple partners to collaborate with. One was Smith Optics and the other was, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, is with Black Diamond, um, similarly to the way we are with Petzl. So I just thought that was pretty cool. It was, it was inspired by a conversation that we had with them um, and it was, it was, you know, the catalyzed, but, but the impetus was on them to get out there and do it just for the sake of trying to help the local community in Colorado. And it came back around for us to, to have black diamond involved. So, um, there's, there's a lot of stories like that for sure, but that's one that we were personally connected to. So that's where my mind went to initially, but I certainly talked to a couple other brands that are looking to do the same type of thing. We had outreaches from, um, places like lizard skins down in uh, the Provo area um, who he had machines idle also and, and, and people that he was trying to avoid layoffs with and has offered to help cut material for us. And unfortunately we haven't, for, for their sake, we haven't had that need um, crap up the way we thought we would, but just to have those types of outreaches. And I, and I don't know if they've connected anywhere else, but certainly there were outdoor brands trying to figure out how to pivot and support each other and find ways to retain their employees and whatnot through the process. And there's, there's lots of those stories. That's great. Well, I, I think we'll end it there, but um you know, if people want to keep up with, you know, 
DPS and the response. Um, what's the best way to stay in touch with you all and, and continue to hear what, what you all are working on? Yeah. So, we're, you know, as a part of this, we're getting a little bit more active with our, our LinkedIn profile just to kind of share these stories a little more. Um, yeah. we kind of about like Instagram and, and Facebook are a fun avenue to kind of tell our ongoing story and share, you know, um, selfies and, and, you know, amazing turns on big mountains and things like that. But um, there's also some other really important stuff to us as far as being a leader uh, in ski design and innovation and, and things like that. And so we're going to start using LinkedIn a little more to tell this story in particular about the PPE and then ongoing design. Um, so that those are a couple of places as well as, you know, just through our website, which is uh, dpsskis.com. Um, and, you know, for now, those are the, the key outlets as, as everybody, I guess. Okay. No, I, I think that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Again, thanks for taking some time. I know you've got a lot you're thinking about and working on and uh, appreciate all you're doing. Glad to hear you're doing well and, and that you guys are continuing to work and, and, and lead. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And uh, appreciate you including us just to share our story a little bit. Again, this is um, something I'm, I'm excited to do, not necessarily for my own benefit. I've, I've got a job that I'm pretty happy with and not going anywhere or looking, but it's, uh, it's, it's great from my perspective to be able to just share the story so our team can just really enjoy the validation and the, uh, you know, kind of community recognition of what they've done and what we've done in general, uh, as well as our partners in particular, like, like we've talked about goal zero, Petzl Eastman. I just, I really value the opportunity to share their story and um, have that, have that out there in the public and, and sort of give credit where it's due. Um, Cause otherwise we wouldn't be talking about this, you know, at least this, this pivot for us without all that from our team internally and, and the partners. So thank you for sharing our story. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlandermag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.